Hello everyone, I'm Nick, your host, and welcome to another episode of Rational Standard. Today we have a little bit of a, you know internal Rational Standard podcast with a, one of our uh, editors, uh, Nicholas Woodsmith. How are you going down there in Cape Town? Ah, oh, things are going well, bad. Um, I'm also Nick, in case other people... Uh, so, <laughs> for, uh, so I will be calling the other Nick by his surname, as is the habit. It cannot be helped. <laughs> yeah, a tradition which has uh, stayed with me since my days in high school. Uh, yeah. It seems there's no, there's no getting around that one. There are an extraordinary number of people in South Africa called Nicholas. I don't know why. Yeah. It's a rather popular name in this country. Um, I actually had a philosophy class where um, one row had 14 Nicholases in it. 14? So how big was yeah. the lecture theater? The, uh, um, it was one of those larger ones. So we had about like 80, 100 people. So first year course, so it was before they had, you know, killed and whittled down most of the students yet. Oh, okay, okay, I see. Well, that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, you know, let's, on that topic, you know, you were recently a university student. I'm currently a university student and I'll be finishing up soon if all goes according to plan. Um, but, you know, I got an, uh, an interesting message from someone recently asking what the university I'm at is kind of like right now. Um, and he was, you know, asking because he was thinking about sending his children there or whatever. And, you know, I was just thinking when I was in my first year at Rhodes, this place was a bit of a disaster. Not the university itself, but just the entire environment with regards to fees must fall and various other protest movements. I think at that time, I think the very first protest was in 2015. Is that right? It was your first year, hey? Yeah. Yeah, so I was first in 2016, and we were still experience the kind of, experiencing the kind of after effects of that. But things have really quite significantly died down. And I think part of the reason for that is that there was an interdict uh, taken by the university at the local court here. So I'm a little bit nervous about what I'm saying now. I hope I'm, if I'm not correct, then I stand to be corrected. Um, but basically, I think that may have deterred a lot of protesters from doing things which are illegal. All an interdict really is, and I asked Martin about this over and over again, is it's just a court order saying, this is the law, can you please yeah. obey the law? <laughs> Somebody actually had to get us to tell you to, do the, to obey the law. But it's so, one of the silliest things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't fully understand the utility of it. Maybe we can uh, get a lawyer on to come explain. But, you know, things have actually been quite nice. I've always said, if you are a studious student, if you work hard, and if you're, if you're serious about your studies, there's no reason why you can't do very, very well. I think it's the people that aren't very serious about their studies are the ones that kind of get into these things. But I'm interested, okay, from UCT, explain your experiences there and what do you think it's like right now? So, um, as you may, said, I started, uh, my first year was in 2015. So, I saw a very um, market shift in the way that pre-Fallist University looked like and what post-Fallist University looked like. So I was actually, um, I think that the symbolic moment when universities shifted in South Africa, and you would not know what universities were like beforehand because you, you're coming into university in 2016. Yeah, that's right. And I only got a few months of knowing what universities were before the protests. And they were actually really nice. It's everyone tried to get along, well, and actually did get along. I, we, it was easy to make friends, even at UCT, and, Cape Town's notorious for uh, for making friends, as you know, all <laughs> introverts. But um, my first few months at UCT were excellent. It was calm. Everyone was trying to get along. Everyone just wanted to learn, um, spread new ideas, um, and um, it was a healthier environment. And then that guy threw the feces on the statue. 
and I was actually there when he did it. So um, I was there at the I witnessed history in the so, making. So just explain to me. History. Yes, this was not some major protest or anything at the time. It was just one day a guy went and threw feces at yeah. a statue. But um, there were journalists, uh, reporters there already before he did it, and. Um, Wow. So it's basically common knowledge now that um, the independent, um, uh, independent media, and I have to say that rather than the person's name, because he's very trigger happy with his suing, um, even though it is basically an accepted fact now, that, um, uh, so, oh, it's been so long, is this, his name's Maxwell, right? Giovanni Maxwell, the guy who... Um, I believe it was him, yes. Yeah, so... Um, uh, so honestly, he means so little to me that I wasn't sure that I remembered his name properly. Um, someone had witnessed him talking and meeting with the um, he uh, head of the independent media group, who is a person known as Survey Iqbal. That will not, he will not pick up on the senses if I say his name backwards. Um, <laughs> at the ja jazz festival. And what happened is, is that... It basically was worked out that Iqbal uh, uh, basically put uh, Maxwell out, um, up to it in order to generate exclusive media for uh, um, the um, independent news's platforms. Um, it's kind of, and um, also it's semi part was revenge because Iqbal had a vendetta against Max Price. So. Um, do you know why that vendetta existed? No, I'm not exactly sure. I think it was just some sort of petty disagreement. Um, I know from other um, uh, other things, and also there's a hang of a lot of articles on the Rational Standard by Ed Herbst about the pettiness of Iqbal survey. So um, you can read through those. And I think that Ed Herbst might uh, have uh, discussed about the vendetta in one of those articles. Okay. But effectively... The the poo throwing was not a an organized protest. It wasn't a big thing. Like the entire idea of the foilism didn't exist yet. There was no popular protest movement on campus. We had the EFF, but not at UCT. The, the EFF was just this vague thing in the background of national politics. So the um, so the only thing. So the reason that the media showed up was because Maxwell basically put them up to it because he was working with Iqbal. And he wanted to news because the independent media uh, group is falling apart, like most media, but even faster because Iqbal doesn't know how to run a news state and uh, a news agency. Um, so, so then he's generating his own. Yes, sorry. No, no, you continue. I was just going to ask. So after that, you know, the media covered it. Is that when things started to basically explode in terms of a protest about the statue? Yeah. Well, the thing is, we've had two protests before in South Africa. It's just that, and they don't get as large because they just weren't covered because they were just like an actual genuine, sincere protester just throwing shit on something. The thing with Maxwell was that he, it was all planned. Uh, so I was there a long time before he actually threw the poo. I just saw this guy just uh, I'm wearing a hard hat with a bucket of something. I was too far away to smell it, thankfully. Um, and I was just—he was—I uh, was just walking past when, um, on the uh, you know uh, when uh, when leaving uh, class, because uh, um, you had to walk down because you had um, yeah. 
Are you familiar with what UCT's layout? So where uh, the yes. stack used to be? Yes, I, uh, I am familiar with UCT's layout. Where, what location did you say now? So the, the statue, so basically I had to walk down the steps next to the war memorial, next to the, where the statue used to be, and then out uh, um, through the tunnel to get to the parking lot past the middle campus. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's how I'd walk home. I know what so you're So I was walking about. home, and that's when um, I saw these, uh, these reporters waiting with this guy, and then the guy just starts doing a little bit of a dance, and then he threw the shit on it. But the thing is, it wasn't really a protest. It was there was not real real energy. It was choreographed. It was planned. It was extremely cold and calculated. Um, there was no sort of that vibrant energy that you know you're used to in sincere South African protests. But um, back to the main point of uh, the, the uh, um, of my story, actually is after that statue had its poo thrown in it and the Rose Must Fall movement was created out of thin air because I can tell you now, nobody cared about it beforehand. In fact, years before, um, Sasko did some, a lot of its campaigning by uh, uh, sending volunteers to clean the statue. So there was oh. a, actually a lot of reverence <laughs> for the statue. That's a big um, irony. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's um, basically some people... Out of thin air, um, I would say inspired by the rise of the radical left overseas and also by the rise of the EFF and also just because of um, see, uh, th that protests are exciting and there's something to do, people got involved. And um, I think the worst part wasn't actually the, in hindsight, wasn't the mass disruptions and protests. Those were terrible. But the real uh, um, lasting damage to the university, I would say, is to the social institutions and the social capital there. There's no trust anymore. Um, they, I lost a hang of a lot of friends and I didn't, without even speaking to them. I lost more when I did speak to them. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's interesting as well because, I mean, I've found in my personal capacity the, the best possible thing you can do, certainly here, is just kind of fly below the radar. Mm. Uh, I think, and I'm, I'm speaking politically here, I think if, if you are to voice any sort of non-leftist political opinion, I'm just, I'm just going to talk now about my university. I, I can't speak for mm. the rest. Uh, this will inevitably get you into a bunch of problems. Um, there's a very much a mob-like mentality when things come. Um, I will never forget when we had Maluski Gaba recently come to Rhodes to give a speech. He was hosted by um, something in conjunction with the Department of Economics, which is a little bit ironic, but in any case, that mm -hmm. happened. Um, and that was, you know, it was very interesting to hear him. I disagree thoroughly on many things, but he, he sounded like a very reasonable guy. But, but there, there was, you get this feeling of like a mob-like mentality in the crowd. You got people sitting in the crowd wearing ANC shirts. I mean, this is a, the kind of thing, unfortunately, that when you're outnumbered, there's very little you can do. Uh, sorry, that was a bit of an interruption. But but continue on what you said when you when you said you you lost friends. Um, yeah. So um, this is even before this is even without the ideology because it's definitely true that at, at UCT as well, Moscow on the Hill, you can't be openly let's just say right wing for convenience, um, or not even just I don't even have to. But you can't be non left wing and still maintain friendships. You either have to be apolitical or left wing. And even if you're apolitical, they'll force you to be political. But the friends that I lost were not due to that. It was actually due to my skin color. I had uh, made black friends 
during orientation week and had maintained for the few months before the uh, statue. And a lot of people were radicalized by the Rose Must Fall thing where they were convinced that they were not allowed to be friends with white people. And that is the probably the worst thing for me, is that it made, not only did it make race matter on campus, it also turned it into a true um, uh, method of dividing people. And that still stands. Uh, the, before the pr uh, protest, race relations at UCT were actually generally fine. Uh, it was actually better. I actually, um, so I went to a school, a high school, that had, um, there were no black students in my grade. There were black students in the uh, school, but it was mostly a colored school, and then um, then Asian, and then white. Um, but uh, at UCT, it was the first, uh, I was encountered the first time a hang of a lot of other black people, and we immediately started becoming friends because we started uniting over shared interests, or just like, because, you know, hanging out was pleasant. And that, our interest didn't change, and, uh, but what did change was that someone told them they're not allowed to hang out with me cordially because of my skin color. And um, I think that was terrible. It's disgusting. Um, and I would say that's probably, the, uh, and that still stands um, to this year, even though the protests have died down dramatically. When I came to campus this year, there's still this invisible oppression that you can't be friends with people of different race groups and that you can't go against a uh, kick against the cart that fallism is right roads must fall fees must fall even though they never <laughs> even though the um, all the promises for them to fall are very delayed in fact i was uh, commissioned um last year to write um write an article about the, what if the fees fall. That's most of the articles basically saying they're not going to fall. <laughs> um, but that, I think that is the big thing. Uh, I was interested to hear you saying that things seem to be um, calmed down at Rhodes. Things I, have calmed down at UCT, but I think in a way for the worse. Okay, that's that's quite interesting to hear. Jeez, man, but that sounds very sad. You know, I, I, I have to say... I've never come across a situation where somebody has said to me, I don't want to be friends with you because of your skin color. Um, I've also never heard of that happening, thankfully. Uh, you know, it might be the case, but I think we're, we're not, we haven't gone down to that level. When it comes to Rhodes students, I think we may be a relatively less radical university. This is not to say that there are people with these kinds of ideas here, but I think most Rhodes students just like drinking a bit too much. I mean, this it sounds like a funny thing to say, but I think I think most people here are a lot more concerned with having fun than being a massive political activist, and what, and this just means that the proportion of of drawlers to political activists is is larger, perhaps, than UCT. That's difficult to judge. I I don't really know, um, but I think you know there would be a lot to be said about that, considering the number of people who fail courses and and, and things like that. You know. <laughs> So you know, it's very weird. As UCT students, we look at um, Rhodes and we honestly think it's more radical than UCT. We actually see a lot of, um, we think, oh, we might have started the protests, but they're the, they're the insane ones who are making it go too, too far. It just shows the weird, uh, weirdness of perspective. Um, and I think the big reason is, is that UCT protests were extremely large, but the vast majority of UCT protesters weren't actually UCT students. 
they were um, effectively a combination of um, high school students, UWC students, uh, renter crowd, and just rand random people. Uh, the problem with UCT is it's completely indefensible. You can't defend UCT. Um, yeah, it's completely open. Can, yeah, so you, there's no way of stopping a large amount, a, a mob from coming from the outside. And also, you can't really just access control everyone. Um, they tried, and um, but the thing is, you can't just do it constantly. And also, they try, and then people get angry at them for trying. And um, let, let me ask something so, quickly about yeah. the crowds. So one thing I noticed uh, during the protests that rose, I say two protests because in 2016, there was, we had a, a protest about rape culture earlier in the year. And that was before the first set of exams. And then in the later half of the year, uh, before the second set of exams, we had fees must fall. I think, I don't know if the timing had anything to do with that, but I always found that a funny coincidence. Um, although now that I think about it, the first rape culture protest may have been a different time. In any case, that's not the important part. What I was going to say was, like I think at UCT, it started quite popular. I don't know what percentage, but fairly large percentage um, of students were, were generally in favor of the cause, let's say. Mm. And a, a large percentage of those would go out and march and, and protest and boycott classes and things like that. I would say that would last in its strength maybe three or four days and then on the fifth day by the end of the week things would get slower and slower and eventually you would get to this point where there was like there were like these bitter einders these people who wanted to hold out until the bitter end uh but i mean at Rhodes, because of the size of our university it's a lot smaller than uct or stellenbosch or tux or something like that it ended up being you know like maybe 40 50 people maybe less than that sometimes and so it got very very small very very soon and i think they just reach a critical mass of numbers being too low and as a result these things kind of fizzled out uh, but bad stuff certainly did happen because i think fees must fall was a was a country-wide movement and you know i i remember the tear gas and the shots going off in the in the midsummer heat and there was that famous video uh, where the protesters, they threw a rock at the one police fan and then people started firing at them at Droste lawns. Um, I think that was a bit different. But eventually what happened was people just got sick and tired of it and they wanted to go back to class. Um, so, I mean, I mean, was that kind of the case at UCT? There was, it was initially popular, but then it gets less and less and less. Yes, but the problem is that it's hard to notice because most of the protesters weren't from UCT. So um, students would come back to class from after the initial popular protest, but then um, the, crowd, the protest crowd doesn't seem to be getting smaller, but that's because they aren't from UCT. Um, so that, there's nothing really stopping them. Um, another thing as well is the, you said bitter enders, and it's, it's accurate, but at the same time, they're not so bitter. Um, people who would go into Bremner House, it was Bremner, right? The one where they occupied. I don't, um, I, sorry, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> it starts with a B. So they, they, it was an administrative building that they occupied for a while. And people going inside it, it was basically a nightclub. They would go in there, <laughs> it was just a smell of liquor and marijuana and cigarettes. And it was basic, And people would come in and ship and donate money to them and free food and free alcohol. And these are a lot of these people 
don't live in Cape Town, so they've been staying in Rays, or they're struggling to find a place to stay. And they, a lot of them are struggling to beat themselves. But now they have this place where they're getting free food, they're getting free booze, they get to party. This is effectively a free nightclub for them. And <laughs> so it, not so bitter. It was more that I think a lot of people are protesting because simply it was fun. Oh, yeah. You had that famous article that I think yes, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Ups, that upset many people. I'm interested. <laughs> did you get any huge backlash from writing an article called Protesting for Fun? Oh, of course. Love backlash. I got backlash just for sharing that. Jeez, man. <laughs> that just for sharing that, I got a lot of heat. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've had, um, the, it's actually a little bit disappointing. It shows my career must be going down the toilet because I um, I used to get death threats every, almost every single day during the protests. Um, I haven't got a death threat for a few years now. It's uh, kind of disappointing. Do people DM you on Facebook or what is it? Um, no, they, they, these guys are idiots. They do it publicly. Um, so you, um, some of them deleted it. But if you go back to those really old comment streams on Facebook, you know, when we used to have those arguments and stuff, yeah. or one of the law of the statuses, this will be people saying, you watch yourself, boy. We're going to come get you. And then I say, what do you mean by that type of thing? And you know, and then some of them will go, uh, will even go and saying, you no, you won't be able to answer us after you're done. You know, the, you know those really stereotypical death threats, but not really saying we're going to kill you outright. It's more extreme. Anyway, it's extremely heavily implied, 100. percent Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're um, saying. I mean, for me, that just was not worth it. You know, I didn't. Uh, I'm not a very confrontational person, and so this was always the thing: is I just tried to stay below the radar. I went to every lecture that I could go to. That was always my thing. I just thought I'm going to go to every lecture that I can possibly go to, uh, and and just try and get my work done. Because when I wasn't at class, well, I had all this time to do homework, and at least I could try hand that in. And uh, you know, people were complaining and demanding take-home exams. <laughs> that was. Uh, did you guys also have take-home exams in that year? Um, not me. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, uh, I mean, I'm in humanities purely, and you're doing at least some things which are slightly scientific, like Mandarin might as well be a science. Um, no, I, don't, I disagree with that. Uh, it's difficult, <laughs> but it's not a science. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you can taste it. Yes, yeah, so you can taste it. That's, you oh, can right. properly taste it, when the thing is, is that you shouldn't actually taste mo uh, the subjects recited. It, it's, um, some of them you can, like logic and language, but uh, uh, things like politics... And it, it was basically just all essay writing, and um, it's very hard to test it. But that's a that's another topic. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very true. To Martin and my um, mutual mutual disdain for testing. No, I also I'm not a big fan of testing. I actually I'm starting to think now that the Chinese model may have a slight advantage because uh, you know we t we take like a month to get through all of our university exams when we only have like four of them. Let's say in first year. <laughs> Whereas in China, they get them all done in one go in like two or three days. Um, and I experienced that this year. Very, very interesting. Really, really difficult though. Um, but but at least it's done. I don't yeah. know. Well, I actually prefer having that long, drawn-out exam time. Because the thing is, I seldom studied when I was at UCT. I was lucky enough to have subjects which I enjoyed and I was naturally gifted at to sound pretentious. Um, so I hardly studied. So, for example, for, so all those study breaks that they gave us, I enjoyed because I just used it to catch up on video games. <laughs> um, I, I literally, I, I mark my exam times by which game I bought for that era. 
But the so one time was Fallout Four, the other time was XCOM Two. But but I mean, you the Witcher Three. You passed like that. Hmm? How did you, you passed with no issues like that? Yeah, no issues. Oh, geez, man, I literally only struggled with one subject um, in my entire career, and I still got a good mark for it. Um, that was logic and language, and that was purely because the logic aspects of it was effectively algebra. And I'm in humanities for a reason. I'm terrible at mathematics. Yeah, geez, but yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. I know uh, in philosophy, logic can be. I know what you mean by the expressions that look like algebra. Jeez, dude, yes, I, yeah. I don't know how you got through all of that without having any serious issues. I have to. I have to. I mean, that, I have that to was study. the one thing I studied a lot for. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, to sort of bring this to a close, I think it's interesting just to hear our thoughts on. Um, Here's an interesting question to ask. I was thinking it to myself the other day, and that's if you are a, a, a university student in South Africa, you know, you've finished with university now, I'm about to be finished very soon. Um, what, you know, advice in this sort of uh, period of turmoil, perhaps not so much now, but what would be a good recipe to be a successful student? Do you want to start or should I start with that? Um, you start. Yeah, okay, cool. So I'll, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think the first thing is that you have to have self-discipline. Uh, one of the problems is that a lot of people come out of the end of their high school careers and they have the mentality of a high school student and that stays the same for four years. The problem is the difference between high school and higher education, university, uh, particularly with postgraduate when you get there eventually, the difference there is that you spend a much larger percentage of your time out of the classroom doing your own work. Uh, and therefore, it is you that has to manage your own time. Whereas when you're in high school, you go to class at 8 o'clock, at least this is in Cape Town, and you get it for 3. And if you have sport, then you maybe will be there until around 5 or 5.30. And then after that, you go home. And then whatever time you have left, that's the time that you do your homework or whatever work that you have to do. Um, so the workload is not different more or less necessarily. It depends what subjects you're taking, of course. The difference comes in how much of the time you have to rely on yourself to manage uh, versus how much of your time is managed for you. And I think that can be a real death trap that can allow people to start drinking and doing, getting into really bad habits. And I think that is where people start to fail. Also, I'm not denying that there are people who have individual situations at home with money, which they can't do very much about. But if I may say, I have seen a lot of people who are in a relatively good position to come study and just kind of wasted away, uh, which I think is really unfortunate considering the amount of subsidies our government is giving to our, our universities. So th those, that would be my advice to anybody who's coming to first year next year. Just be a good student. If you be a studious, good student, that is the best possible thing you can do uh, for yourself. So uh, what, what do you think about that? Well, I'm going to throw a span in the works and ask the question, do you really need to go to university? Whoa, okay. Let's, no, no, let's see your well, thoughts. Okay, no, it's, it's, it's at length. Um, I, I've got more to say about it before you, uh, you, you respond. But um, I actually, I jokingly say on a lot of my profiles that I use my degree to tell people that they don't need a degree. Um, and I say that before actually going to university, and especially after you've been uh, actually going into a first year, be very careful with what you study. And I, in an article that I wrote um, last year, 
I discussed that there should be two main reasons why you actually study. And the, the first one is simply the reason that a lot of people go, which is money. It is to enable a career. And then secondly, is the other one, which is passion. And those are both valid. Now, I think that you could reasonably go to university for passion. But the difference is, is that it's always a cost-benefit analysis. If you're going to be going to university to study something for passion, first analyze, well, I don't plan to make a career out of this. I know I can't make a career out of this. Um, do I really need to go to university for it? And that's one of the main reasons why I actually dropped out of honors, is that um, I was doing honors in history, and I realized after a long time, not only was I, I was actually doing fine. My marks were reasonably well, uh, I was doing really well, actually. But I just realized to the point that I was hating this. I was hating this, and it's a history degree. It's not going to help me with my career. I own my own business. It's, um, get, and also, you don't need a history degree to get any sort of job which history is involved in. Some of the greatest and most commercially successful historians do not have history degrees. Um, some of them have the completely arbitrary degrees. So then I realized not only was I hating this, so there was no passion, it was destroying my love for history. I dropped out. And now, after a few months of, um, let's say, purging, I'm now back into real history again. History as university doesn't teach it, which is mostly um, fun history, you know, European history, because for some reason at South African universities, Europe doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> the, and also aspects of South African history they don't want us to know about. Uh, yeah, yeah. The other thing is, is that people going to university for money, um, it's also you need to be very careful because there's people who go and they say, oh, I want to be a lawyer for the money. And I'm like, Lawyers don't actually make that much money. Some of them do, but you want to be a criminal lawyer. Criminal lawyers don't make that much money. And the type of lawyer that uh, uh, lawyers do make a lot of money is not the type of lawyer you're studying for. Um, and at the same time, people then say, oh, well, I want to be an engineer to make money. I'm like, okay, cool. Engineers do make money. But what type of engineering are you doing? They'll say civil engineering. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get a job. Um, they don't think about these things. They just think about the vague idea of, I watch Suits, and the people in Suits are fancy, so I'm going to be a lawyer. Or I'm going to be an engineer because everyone says that lawyers make money. And not lawyers, uh, engineers make money. Or they do things like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor to make money, not realizing that if you're going to be a medical doctor, you're not going to have a life. You're never going to have – you're going to make money, yes. Okay, you're but, financially secure. But, in but your life is going to be shit in, if you don't enjoy it. Okay, but in fairness, there are some people, and I think I would count myself as one of these people, who would much prefer to have a job when you're working many, many, many hours a day than a, do when a job where you're kind of twiddling your thumbs, not really knowing what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, no, definitely, but you have to realize you're that type of person. That's the thing. There's so many different types of people. And the problem is that there's so many students who are trying to take a one-size-fits-all approach to studying. And that's the, that is actually the service we've given them. There's the service when people say, oh, we need engineers, so you better be an engineer. When there's students who would actually prefer becoming welders and would make more money as welders and the fact that the country needs welders um yeah that's university true is not for everyone and the problem is is that we're creating this extreme lie that it is for everyone and that the only way that you're going to find any form of importance is from getting a university degree 
Yeah, look, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that there are certain professions which do require uh, a higher education degree. I think something like law and medicine and uh, engineering and a few of those things are things where you definitely require one. But, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm afraid to say that I think the most useless credit that I ever studied was uh, politics and international studies one. Um, yeah, not I because I didn't enjoy it necessarily. I mean, there were some interesting things there, but all it really consisted of us was going to a very mediocre lecture, uh, you know, reading a chapter in the book, doing a tutorial, coming back, you know, basically in your tutorial was to write an essay and then the exam came, you had to write another essay. And then we had an essay every term. And I mean, just kind of like you said, it's like a thing where you have to like learn and understand. Um, and that, you know, I have to ask myself, did I really need them to teach me that? I think there are certain things like that where it really it's really quite difficult to comprehend and understand and you could arguably require a teacher. For example, the one uh, course I'm taking right now is a bit like that. But, uh, you know, like you said, I, th I think university is, is just not quite for everyone. Uh, yeah. And that's not a bad thing. We should we should really in this country, I really hope we can build up the training and education in things like uh, welding, you know, trades which are very, very important skills and can earn a lot of money, but it's something that we just don't really yeah. think they about. They earn more money than the yeah. average humanities student. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a really, really big deal. Well, uh, that's an interesting thing to ponder about. And maybe if we had a bit more private sector education in the country, uh, we could increase on that level. But uh, mm. anyway, that's some interesting thoughts. And I hope we've given some sound advice to anybody about to enter their new first year at university in mm -hmm. South Africa. Well, Nick, uh, do you want to promote yourself quick? Or, uh, where can the listeners follow you on Twitter and so on and so forth? Um, so I don't post a lot on Twitter, but if for some reason you really want to follow me on it, um, you can follow me at um, Zagita on Twitter. Um, I'm more active on Facebook. You can find me under Nicholas Woodsmith on Facebook, either my page, Nicholas Woodsmith hyphen author, or just my normal account. If you are interested in uh, fiction, my main business is actually fiction writing, and I have a science fiction um, series currently published on Amazon called the Warpmancer series. You can find details about that on my website, nicholaswoodsmith.com. Or you can also wait for my urban fantasy series set in a Cape Town in an alternative world where, in the, uh, where magic and monsters have taken over South Africa and all the shenanigans as a result from that, including a Zulu empire and a JSE-owned Gauteng, um, and that will be available for release early next year. Wow, that sounds like a very interesting concept, i got to say. I, I, I look forward to reading that. That sounds like an awesome thing. Um, the Zulus made it all the way down to the Western Cape. No, they're one of the people who said the um, State of Good Hope or one of the independent nations. Oh, okay, um, okay. I've got a, a there's an uh, articles on my website which are about some of the law. Oh, okay, I see. So you could people interested can read that as well. Interesting. Well, that sounds like a great concept. For those who want to follow me, my Twitter handle is at Nick Babaya. Uh, for those who want to follow Rational Standard, we are at Rational Stand. You can subscribe to this podcast feed on Apple um, Apple Podcasts, or so you can listen online on Peeper. But thanks for listening to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast, and we'll see you next time.